Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 40K Fireside Podcast. I'm David Gaylor, and I'm joined by my good friend, Vic Vijay. Together, we discuss 40K in the meta from our perspective, along with events we've recently been to and those that have got coming up. So come on down to the fireside and listen. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 20 of Fireside 40K. You're joined by me and Dave, and uh, we've got you today to talk uh, about the balanced data slate and also the London Open, which we just attended. Uh, we're going to kind of focus more on the balanced data slate and the future, because uh, I think that's what people are mostly interested in. But London Open was interesting as well. And, uh, you know, me and Dave have some stories to share. Dave has his stuff and I have my my journey with my Eldar as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So uh, that's what we're going to cover today, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll just go straight into it, I think. Vic, you bring uh, Eldari. I bring Guard with the Earthshakers. Kind of covered that in the last uh, mm-hmm. the last episode. How was your uh, How was your day one? Um, so I had a really good tournament overall because um, I've been uh, tweaking this Eldar list, developing it, trying to counter things in the meta, and I was lucky enough to play through um, a number of really good players. Zach sent me a message. I had like the highest uh, strength of schedule, which is the difficulty of opponents you face. Mm-hmm. And that's perfect for a tournament like this, where you want to try and, and play against the best people to get a good challenge. Um, I started off with Orcs. That was a nice, comfortable matchup. I had a few practice games into that already, so I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then it started getting more interesting. So I played Adam Lane on his Space Wolves. Mm. Um, we've got a member of our team called Chris Radford, who's a big Space Wolf player. I practiced against him a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew the flow of that game, managed to, to beat the Space Wolves despite the Desolation Marines. It was all fine. Yeah. It got even more spicy after that because uh, then I ran into Alex Harrison, uh, one of the best players in the country, in the world. Sure. And he was playing a very, um, kind of very interesting Iron Hands list. It was kind of the on meta list just with two Inve- Invictor Warsuits. Two added Invictors in. or three? It two was two okay. Invictors yeah. instead of the two Infiltrator units, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting. He went first, um, which gave him some momentum. Hmm. But we basically played a back and forth game through that where, you know, whatever pieces we exposed were dying. And then eventually he just ran out of the resources a little bit before me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few moments where kind of things swang a little bit in my way and at the key moment, and then the rest of it was all average. So mm-hmm. um, I got the advantage there and I was able to take a fairly big win on that, which was not reflective of how tight the game really was. Yeah. And I think Eldar and Iron Hands, Eldar are really good into Iron Hands, actually. I think they have a very 50 50 match into there. Well, you've had the double Night Spinner, double. Um... Starweaver and the Uralith as well, right? Which are all like pretty good at killing Marines, I would assume. Yeah, yeah the whole army is good at killing Marines if mm. you can see them and if you can survive, like if you can keep your resources alive for long enough. Yeah. Um, you can end up with turns where if they expose too much, you can really pick up large chunks of their army. So mm. um, managed a really good game into Alex Harrison. And I felt like the room was not expecting me to win that game and everyone was really <laughs> happy after I won it. I, was, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, the list. Your list is really tricky to get to actually engage into and mm-hmm. interact with, right? So I think a yeah. lot of people don't appreciate that when they see the list. It's like, well, you're gonna be. You need to take some pretty extreme angles and get really close to actually hit the stuff that is really dealing you the damage. Otherwise, it's out of line of sight from the night spinner, right? 
Exactly. As long as you're like a little, a turn ahead in your mind, you're like, okay, I've got this bit blocked out with my precious resource. I'm going to put it over there. I've kind of slowed down this bit. So I know he's going to attack from this middle bit uh, or he's going to approach there. And I have to make sure I have the units ready to counterattack that point. I think if you are a little bit ahead, you can control kind of the pacing and the direction the game goes and make sure you uh, tilt it to your favor. Yeah, you kind of have to have your own game, our own very strong game plan where you can kind of bully the Eldari player into like, oh, actually, you got to come to me and you got to come play my game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you're just kind of doing stuff and doing stuff and you're not making pushing the Eldari player around, like they get to position everything perfectly and then they just get to, you know, non-interact with you and take mm-hmm. off your models and stuff. And yeah, it's a really tough position. Exactly. Once you start scraping off their resources without losing your own, mm. uh, it, it can really spiral out of control against Eldar. And yeah, uh, yeah people are starting to pay more attention to the Eldar. I had a <laughs> lot of people come up to me and say, uh, who is it? Danny Everson's came up to me, Vic, I've tried your list yesterday. It was really, really good uh, <laughs> in practice. And people are paying attention to the Eldar now. I think they, they may be better than people had predicted. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't like <laughs> Super strong, man. Really um, strong. And notably, I think, as we'll chat later, you know, mm-hmm. uh, only got stronger after the balance data slate, right? Well, definitely didn't get weaker. And that, in a way, is a strength. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so um, after this, I got my pairing and went uh, went back to the hotel room. I saw it and I was like, oh, I've got the list which I'm expecting I won't be able to handle, which yeah. was um, the 45 Deathwing Terminators. Mm. Um, he just beaten Chris on his Iron Hands, and uh, he'd gone through Conrad, who was playing as Eldar, and now it was my turn to face it. And um, <laughs> I think most people had signed me off for this game because it was also on you Tide of Conviction. You had signed yourself off, to be fair. I mean, it's a whole two six objective mission on Dawn of War against 45 Deathwing Terminators. It's yeah. it's about the worst possible combination of things that can happen. And mm-hmm. in my list, I had I predicted that people would reduce Deathwing Terminators and increase Desolation Marines. Mm. Um, so I, I'd kind of taken out uh, 2D cannons from my list. I've taken out the Mortal Wound Warlord trait on my Farsi. So I'd reduce the overall output into Terminators. Um, but what actually happened in this game is the the power of that death jester to move 22 <laughs> inches and pick up dark angels characters when it goes right it's a little bit swingy um but i learned a little trick i learned that you can uh, use blade storm which is the exploding sixes on shuriken weapons on the death jester's gun because it's a shuriken fours, gun. Is it? yeah four exploding mm-hmm. hits on any six to hit um and actually that really helps the maths on picking up these deathwing characters so mm-hmm. i was like shooting my um star weaver up i picked up his apothecary turn one his chaplain turn two the ravenwing champion turn <laughs> oh, three my word. so the he, went through, on he went through all the Multi-kill. characters <laughs> um, oh, and then triple <laughs> I, I got a bit lucky because i had kind of planned the strategy to attack one flank and my opponent had actually gotten light on the flank that I wanted to attack. Um, so I only had to deal with 10 Terminators on this mm-hmm. one flank. And I just phantasmed my whole army onto that side, killed these 10 Terminators, <laughs> and essentially just killed the army 10 Terminators at a time. Yeah. Um, I ended up with st- having only lost maybe 200, 300 points in my army by the end of this. And I'd killed 44 of his Terminators by the end of the game. <laughs> um, so that was a really nice win. And, uh, and yeah, that's people... exactly what happens if you don't have the reach and the speed to interact with the Eldar army. Like against a world-class player like you, Vic, 
you're just going to get toyed around the board you know 17.1 inches or 16 inches if you hit a 12 you know, something mm-hmm. like that right like it's just not going to be you're just not going to ever have your foot in the game really are you? unless you try and play the entire board at the same time right and is that kind of what you like because i remember i know you said you wrote yourself off was like what is the lose condition there is it if they play the entire board at the same time or if they see or if they know ahead of time like i would know playing against you is that you would try and hit the flank with your big l in that position right i'm assuming that's yeah what you, you hit, see right? it's counterintuitive you know where yeah. the big l is yeah is is the incorrect flank you want to put it to everything put on the army. other side of the army on the if you're, opposite your side of exactly, it because yeah. of the way the objectives are Precisely. um so yeah it's uh, it's a really counterintuitive game the strategy on that one mm. and it's the opposite of what you think i had nothing in my big l except for one night spinner yeah. Um, and on the other side of the board, I had my entire army, yeah. both Phoenix Lords, all the D cannons, everything. And then you hope uh, that they deploy only a little bit to match your little bit on that exactly. side, and then you phantasm everything over to that side, and then all of a yeah. sudden you have the you have the <laughs> diagonal uh, exactly. you know, version of the armies against you, right? Which is the longest deployment possible. Exactly, and you're using speed, right? That's the only yeah. massive strength this Eldar army has is just the immense speed. Yeah. Um, so if you can utilize that, yeah, it, so, it felt good, man. It felt good. Pro tips, man, <laughs> because uh, I know you talk a lot about flanks and kind of board space and board control, which is something that I've picked up on a lot and I've tried to, tried to take a little bit off you, um, the way that you look at the game like that. Um, <laughs> so that's a huge way of looking at the game, especially when you play an army like Eldar. Like, not every army gets to express itself and take advantage of that because of the way that it doesn't have the speed or the fly or the infantry um but look if you are trying to pick up this list that's a huge way i've seen you play that for like the longest time right yeah exactly and you know tts is quite good for this because tts lets you put these big circles around units Mm. and um it's it's really interesting when you put in the nine inch deep strike circle around units and you Mm. see the kind of um areas that you can screen out the next level of development is to see the areas that units can threaten and those circles can be really powerful just to see like okay this terminator unit can move 17 inches put that circle out Mm. and see how far that terminator unit can actually express its control Mm -hmm. and both as the player who's using that unit can understand how much threat they can express and also the defensive player who knows the areas of the board which they're allowed to go into and looking at the game as space um, really can help you develop as a a player Um, i'm going to steal that I'm going to do that in my next game. <laughs> yeah, just see where the circles go. And there'll be gaps in the circles, which you kind of play through, Yeah, uh, which would be quite interesting. And that, yeah. that, that also must help you stage as well at the same time, right? Like understanding what your threat zones are exactly. And okay, I'm going to need to actually get to this point in the board to hit the point that I eventually want to get to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, nice. it keeps going more and more advanced from there. But let's let's not like go too deep into that <laughs> rabbit hole. But um, yeah, I then ended up losing my next game against a player called Clement. And Clement lives in London. He's a new member of Dice Down. He's been playing with those guys loads. And he was playing Yanari. And um, I have a little bit of list advantage in this particular matchup. So he was playing down on list advantage because um, actually the way he engages me with melee units is very difficult into my kind of list. Um, It's quite challenging for for him to actually throw melee units in without them kind of either my units falling back from them, getting wire weaved or things Mm. like that. Um, So he got first turn, which was uh, a nice advantage for him. Uh, As soon as he gets first turn, it becomes him doing primary denial to me. That's always how Eldar goes. And uh, me actually just trying to hold on till the end of the game and win on points. Um, and we got to the end of the game. He had, he's pretty much tabled. He's got like a, a small handful of models left. Um, and I 
have like three win conditions here. Um, and on the last round of the game, I saw each of those win conditions fall apart. <laughs> like I saw one Harlequin troop survive so he can plant a bomb. That That's a swing. Uh, so if, if that doesn't happen, he loses. And then I saw him hit a three mortal wounds on a smite with Baharoth through my deny. <sighs> if that doesn't happen, and then I fail my four up to get up. If that doesn't happen, I plant a bomb and I win the game. Yeah. And then he has uh, one wound left on a warlock and I've got my entire shooting phase into this warlock. Um, and I make him take eight saves and he passes all of them. Um, <laughs> if he fails one of those saves, I win the game. Um, <laughs> so I, I ended up losing by two points here. And it was it was like a really awesome game because it was so close. And those are the nail biters that you want. Unfortunately, it didn't go my way that time. I don't care. It's fine. Yeah, sometimes uh, you can't control the way the dice go um, yeah. in situations, right? Exactly. And it's quite exciting. You know, the adrenaline goes up. It's like you, the gambling inside you starts going. And uh, it was pretty wild. I mean, it's just so the depression happy. goes up. My, my opponent just continually <laughs> makes saves. I'm like, oh, dear. No, another one. Because when they make the first one, you have so much hope. And you're like, oh, they, they pass it. So what? It's fine. Uh, but it's when they make the eighth one. And you're just like, oh, like, oh mate. Come on. <laughs> uh, so... Good times. That was my tournament. I went uh, four and one, decent score. Um, and yeah, the Eldar still going strong. <laughs> still crushing it. I was, uh, so I went uh, two and one, and uh, I'll talk about this in a bit. So uh, I was playing the Triple Earthshaker list. They um, were actually pretty good uh, in the matchups I was hoping they would be good in. So I think round one, I played against, uh, I think I played against Custodes round one. And uh, the Earthshakers are actually super good there because just AP4 damage 2 was like miles better than uh, than Maulers. So uh, I think I won that one 100 points. And actually the, you know, the 5 up to hit automatically wound is super good on the Earthshakers. Nice. You just, you just crank that and then just like every 5 is automatically wound. So it's like, just, it's very good. Um, so it's good into armies that actually have to take armor saves, for example. But like Invan armies like Aldaria, don't really think it's that good into um, but obviously, going into this, we're preparing for those final games where it's probably going to be some variant of uh, Space Marines, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You've uh, teched for it. It's uh, And also, I love this tech choice that you made to make it three units, uh, one unit of three rather than three units of one. Yeah. Very, very clever. Yeah. And I was also playing the Laurels of Commandment too, so I could put them all in cover as well. Mm -hmm. nice. uh, so then round two, I played... Um, okay, I'm really sorry. I played something round two. <laughs> and uh, I got 100 points. Okay. All right. So it's off to a good start. Uh, and then round three, I played uh, a guy called Will Whitaker, who I've played twice. Mm -hmm. uh, super lovely guy. Um, a good player. And his, uh, his brother's a very good player as well. Um, kind of two staples of the London scene. They don't travel necessarily to, to all the big tournaments, but um, really good players, actually. And he was on Mono Zinch Demons. And like, I think out of all the lists in the field, uh this was probably the one given the tech choices i'd made in my list that i really just mm. didn't want to hit like mm -hmm. i didn't know it at the time but like this list is actually some people struggle against modern Zinch demons with guard but i think my list that i won southampton with would have been very good into it because i had mm -hmm. 30 casican 40 troops um more russes and um it just would have been a better time overall uh but this list with the earth shakers uh oof, you know it's a, I'm, I sacrificed a lot to basically have a lot of dead weight. So prior to the game, uh, because of the tournament format, I made the decision in my head to look for 15s because I wanted to score 100 points because I, I just believed in my head that if I 
if I won with like an 85 or an 87 or something that uh, I pretty much just wouldn't make the top two. And this kind of contextualizes a lot, a lot with, with what I'll probably talk about in the next five or 10 minutes. But um, for me, that's a huge part of the tournament. Uh, you know, we play, I play a lot of Warhammer. And to be honest with you, this tournament is a pretty small tournament. It's 150 players. Uh, it's just a major. Um, and for me, it's kind of like, well, you know, I might also take my crack at the top two if I'm going to take my crack at the top two. And having that mindset means that you are going to be taking more risks in the game to score more points. And that's just the reality, right, Vic? Mm -hmm. no. Yeah, it's it, it depends on your mentality with it. And For sure. I think, like, I have definitely done that, where I've gone into a game and said, like, okay, like, I have advantage here. I'm going to push it and go for a slightly worse secondary where mm -hmm. I know I can cap it out if I table my opponent. And sometimes you have to do that in the UKTC tournaments to hit the cut, yep. which is a bit of a pain uh, if it yep. goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, maybe if it was a, a if, it, if I was a younger version of myself, if I hadn't maybe hadn't uh, maybe won tournaments or something, then, you know, it would it wouldn't be um, I wouldn't have made that decision. But the reality is, is that like we play this game tons um, getting for me personally, getting fifth or sixth or seventh or you know fourth in tournament this size is like it's not really something that I'm going for. I would rather at this point in my Warhammer journey, I would rather try and play for the wins and uh, and play for the wins. Well, yeah. So that's mm -hmm. just whatever your philosophy on the tournament is uh, going into it, whatever you want to achieve going into it. That's that's your own personal goal. So, you know, you define yourself through your tournament through um, with what you want to get out of it, and which is a huge part about Warhammer and actually is what makes the game so great. So anyway, I took assassinate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this would have been it would have been okay. But what happens is, is uh, I actually go first. I get a good Kassigan bomb off turn one. Uh, I take off some threats. Uh, Scout Sentinels go first and shoot um, and get into combat. Um, give Will a nice sort of take back to make sure there's no units within an inch and stuff like that because that's the way I, that's the way I want to play. Uh, and the the big thing about the Earthshakers here is that the demons have the three uh, warp storm point minus one to hit outside twelve inches. And if you're playing Earthshakers and you're shooting through dense terrain, you're effectively shooting through minus two, which means that you would hit on sixes. Now, fortunately, the stratagem is unmodified fives to hit, which as we chatted about our team uh, before earlier and I explained to Will, uh, actually works because the, my unmodified hit roll is still a five. So minus two doesn't screw me over there because I can still use the stratagem to be auto-wounding on fives, which is nice. But the problem is Will's entire army saves against me on threes. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, if you've played against this list before, you'll, you'll probably appreciate the fact that it's a little bit frustrating, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're playing maybe an army that um, is sort of monophasic like guard. And guys, just from turn two onwards, like, man, we'll say we're just through, like 90% three ups for like the next three turns straight. And I was just like, oh my God, so brutal. It so I think the, mm -hmm. the game, and then, I mean, and then so uh, turn three comes around and then I put four rerolls to hit on my KD command squad, fixed bayonets. And I get into all of his, a lot of his characters, like his exalted flamers and his stuff like that. Uh, zero wounds out of all my attacks. Oh, <laughs> pain, I'm like, pain. okay, <laughs> so that would have got me if i killed so the score was 86 82 if i had killed one character uh obviously it would have been a one point and then if i just had boots on the ground somewhere else then it would have been a draw uh if i'd taken r and d i would have scored plus five points so i would have uh gone 87 86 to me uh which would have been which would have obviously changed the way the game played out as well so i would have had a higher boot score and i would have had just plus um plus five points so that would have just been the straight up draw and 
if you've listened to me talk about guard before, you know the decision is basically always between banners, R and D, uh, and then sometimes in this like these edge cases, like um, like the game we played, uh, you know, um, assassinate for a fifteen for a hundred point score. So those both would have lived it. Uh, those both would have got me the win. And then there was, uh, I think, th- another like Uvic, another three points in the game where, uh, for example, on the on the last turn, um, eleven saves into one flamer on the home objective for just a straight up four, which <laughs> should have just been a no. draw. <laughs> <Fast> <laughs> <all> eleven. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh my god. Um, but like you know, it's a great game, and it's like um, there are things that you can't do in the game. You know, things that just, you can always play the game better and make decisions better. But um, there's some things that are just out of your control at the end of the day. And it's important just to not be like, oh, you know, I didn't win, etc. You know, when the reality is that sometimes, you know, you can, you know, you can play, you, you know, I'm not saying I did this, but you can play a perfect game and still lose. Uh, and which is the the moral behind that story is that there are things that, you know, are out of your control, right? Yeah, I, I, think, control. I think one very healthy way of looking at it is that you are much more likely not to win a tournament than you are to win a tournament. Hmm. And in order to win a tournament, you actually need a string of multiple lucky things to happen. For sure. So, you know, if you have a tournament win rate, let's say, of you win one in every five of your tournaments, I think you're, you will be one of the most elite players in the world hmm. at that level. And that you've got to keep that in mind. The tournament win rate is twenty percent. You're trying to hit a six on a D six yeah. every time you go to a tournament to try and win it. And if you just keep a healthy mentality like that, it puts things in perspective for you. Yeah. So I'm going to segue that on healthy mentality. So, uh, so what I did was I dropped because um, I thought to myself, uh, well, I'll go into this in a second. Um, yeah. So I dropped and didn't play day two. Now this is a London tournament, so I lived in London. Um, my house is about an hour away from the from the venue and. Um, I heard a few people chat about uh, about me dropping, so I just kind of wanted to address this because I think it's very easy to have some of these um, uh, instantaneous reactions to someone dropping from a tournament, and I really don't think some of them are fair. Um, you know, for context, the amount that Vic and I play Warhammer, think about Warhammer, contribute to the community through maybe through the podcast or chatting with people on Discord or helping people out, uh, chatting with our team, organizing the team, you know, um, is 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 an obsessive amount it's it's not healthy and me personally i've improved that a little bit some from last year i've proved it quite a lot from last year uh but it's still something that is all consuming for the most part wouldn't you agree Vic? yeah it takes up a lot of time it's a very um yeah it's a big part of our lives isn't it yeah so the way that i like to think about it is that um if there's an opportunity where i can get back some time from warhammer um to spend with my you know my family catching up on work relaxing working on my mental health going to the gym that's a that's a that's an opportunity i should always seriously consider so the decision i made to drop was basically you know i can go home which i'll get home at you know 10 30 at night and then i had got to wake up at 7 7 30 to get to the venue uh you know so i'm not operating on a, on a great amount of sleep to stress out and play all day or i can sleep in um you know, hang out with my fiance, uh, have everyone around for a barbecue, um, have all our neighbors on community around for a barbecue and have a good time. And, you know, that's the decision I ended up making because we, we, we seldom get those opportunities in Warhammer. And um, I, for me, I just like to look at it in terms of a cost and, you know, investment standpoint. And you've got to be honest with yourself sometimes, like, is the cost investment worth it to play this tournament at this point? 
And the reason why I say that is because we've all got different goals when we walk into a tournament. Um, and my goal was to win, you know, win the tournament or place very well. Um, you know, I can play Warhammer against the best players in the world any time of the week. And that's a luxury that I have. So perhaps playing another two rounds of a tournament is not as important to me. That doesn't mean that I don't enjoy the game. Obviously, I enjoy the game for the beauty of the game's sake. And I've said that a lot on many different podcasts is that, you know, I'm not a huge person on fluff or lore or maybe necessarily painting because for me, the game is the game's sake and it's a beautiful game. And we could be playing with bottle caps for all I care. I would still turn up and play and play a tournament for that. So I do get a lot of enjoyment out of the tournament. I don't think dropping from a tournament for reasons to maybe benefit or, um, you know, um, be, make healthy life decisions is, is a bad thing at all. And I don't think it's appropriate to maybe criticize players that take the opportunity to do so as well, despite what you may think if you've traveled down for an event um, to play the whole tournament. Because the reality is, is that we all engage in Warhammer and the community and the tournament scene in, in our individual ways. And it's a little bit dismissive to say, oh, th- you should have stayed to play the whole tournament and it's unsporting because the reality is that you engage in the tournament in a much different way from which everyone else does and maybe different from the way that I engage it, for example. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> That's fine. You know, you do you, man. I think everyone has to enjoy this hobby in their own way. And it's a hobby. That's the yeah. key thing we always have to remember. So, uh, yeah, fair play, Dave. And I have definitely done that as well, especially when I'm close to home, when I can easily get home. Yeah, exactly. That's, right. that's the big thing. So, yeah. yeah. All right, fair rant play. over. Boom. Let's do it. Let's move on. Let's Just move on. Part two coming up. We're going to be going to the balance data slate. Here we go. All the hottest takes. Okay, guys, we are back for a little bit on the balanced data slate. So it's been out for a week, so we've had time to digest it. We're going to give you our hot takes, starting with the things that we feel are most impactful uh, into the meta. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to hit it off, Dave, with the one that I like the most. Mm. And that is the Dark Angels nerf. Oh, yeah. Now, I know there's some slightly mixed opinions because this is a little bit of a sledgehammer. So it's a, it's an elegant sledgehammer because it goes <laughs> after one particular thing very aggressively. Yeah. Um, and in, in this case, they have removed the transhuman. So the only wound on fours against the Deathwing side of things. So the mm-hmm. inner circle Deathwing stuff. Um, this means that the uh, Deathwing Terminators are much less survivable. That's the one... So they have multiple layers of survivability uh, across Dark Angels. One of the most important ones was this transhuman ability. Mm-hmm. It means a lot more wounds go through onto the Terminators and they have to take saves. The lethality of the game is such that you can't really run armies of 45 Terminators without expecting a lot of the top armies with high output to be able to actually clear them very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that this drastically changes the meta and how common it will be for us to see Dark Angels uh, played on the top tables. I don't know what mm. you think, Dave. So, you know, just as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, David, be honest, because uh, I'm just trying to think about what I said when Leviathan Tyranid Warriors got nerfed, right? So it's, mm. to me, it's really similar. The army has gone from, well, A, they both are transhuman, but the army has gone from very good at dominant to basically never existing, right? And mm-hmm. I think back at the time, I would have probably also said it's not a good way of balancing the game. 
because you've taken something which has a viable archetype and you've actually just completely obliterated that from the game. Like Inner Circle now does... Uh, it can't fail morale, you can't fall back. Oh, right. So it's 50% of it is negative. <laughs> <laughs> um, but fluffy, man. Fluffy. So, so overall, I think it's a, overall, I think it's a healthy change for the game because the sheer, you know, you know, the dullness, I think, of that uh, that data sheet was quite prevalent and, and everyone was getting a little bit bored of it. But I don't think that maybe that was the right way. I would have liked to have seen them create a way where we could have still seen the Dark Angels list, you know, um, perform with Ravenwing Dark Angels. But it just said less, less stuff, right? So, like, why weren't we looking at maybe just putting up the points for some of that thing? Or mm. to say, have like, for example, why don't you attach on Inner Circle um, five points per model upgrade if, to get transhuman? You know, I think the key thing is the design philosophy for the balanced data slates and this one in particular is that they have not made points changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. In this case, Dark Angels really needed points changes on the Terminators. Yeah. So I think as an alternative to that, they've um, they've kind of gone for this as their approach, which corrects the list because I think Dark Angels still are good. Yeah. I don't think the army is dead. I think the army has a lot of depth. The Ravenwing side is still completely intact. Yep. And you can make a very coherent army without it being oppressive as it is at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'll give a thumbs up to this change. I think uh, there is still use for Deathwing Terminators at 33 points per model. Um, I think they're still a good unit, but mm -hmm. they're not oppressive when they're spammed. Mm. They're just normal Terminators now, aren't they? Yeah. Well, even better than normal Terminators. They're still very good. At 33 points is cheap. I think. Is that cheaper than a normal Terminator? Um, is it not? I'm assuming they're all point. <laughs> I think they're all pointed around 33. Are they all the same? Yeah. Okay. So, for example, I just don't think they're differentiated from any other Terminator now, mm, which, considering yeah. that they're a standalone data sheet, probably doesn't make that much sense, right? Like, they are called Deathwing Terminators, right? Like, you don't get access to that in Ultramarines, for example, right? Got it. Yeah. Um, yep. So, but look, I'm you know, it's small. Like that's just a small overarching thing. I I think right is that like I don't like when they nuke things into oblivion to not be unplayable, um, because I think the more that they do that, like they've just taken out an army that could have been balanced, if you know what I mean. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, a part of um, balancing the game in general is to keep um, armies that are competitive in the game, not just like removing those consistently. So Dave, I have a question for you. In the middle of the game, like what do you think is the most middle army in the game? Oh, the most, oh. the most in the bang in the middle. Man, what? okay, okay, okay. What do you mean by, okay, first of all, what do you mean by middle of the army and in relation to like a tournament performance, for example? Um, as in you could win a tournament if you are like if you play really well with it but it's uh, it's unlikely to win against the very best of the meta mm. uh oof. like what would you say is your peak perfect kind of competitive balance i think faction? um at the moment okay i think thousand suns are up there for example mm -hmm. i think chaos knights are probably up there um, nice, nice. Yes, I like Imperial him. Knights, maybe you know. Mm. I mean, it's easy because they're such a straightforward and simple army, right? Mm. Um, something like you know, some of the Marine chapters, for example, that are a little bit more down there. Mm -hmm. uh, is Adeptus Mechanicus one of those armies right now? You know, uh, arguably, like, right? Maybe a little bit under it. A little bit under, sure. Mm. Those kind of armies. So, got it. What yeah, is okay. what is got how it. is that leading on to your next question? So, though? my question is. Are Dark Angels above that level now after this change or below it? 
Um, so in the, if you played the same current build? No, it, like anything. You can make anything out of Dark Angels. Oh, uh, yeah, I would say it's still above it, yeah. Because still the Ravenwing side, is, uh, is you've still got access to, of course. So what they've done is they've corrected a very oppressive, unfun part of the army mm -hmm. without ruining Dark Angels. And yep. I'm giving them a thumbs up for that one. Okay. I'm still giving them a thumbs up. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. My thumb is it's just, edge, it's just angular. <laughs> it's like Northwest right now. No, but I, you know, look, I think um, your little thought experiment there just beautifully identified the fact that actually there are other ways of playing the game. So you set me up for a nice trap there live on air. <laughs> Reveal <laughs> so my traps to you. That was quite good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Unscripted, yes. <laughs> uh, um, do you want to take the next one? Uh, Desolation Marines. Oh my God, you wanted me to rant, eh? Yeah. Okay. But you, so, guys, we have notes um, that we kind of like, you know, loosely follow and stuff like that. So we've got a yeah. list of stuff to talk through. But I've got an order of most impactful to yes, least impactful. But Desolation Marines didn't get touched. So I'm wondering why you quoted that. So I think this is impactful for my mental health because <laughs> what happened was I watched this video that the balance team put up on that Warhammer community post okay. and they identified in that, they said the words, desolation marines are a problem, mm. right? So how much hope that brings into my life? They understand that they're a problem, mm. and they did nothing, Dave. Yeah, because if if they if they mention that something's too strong, you, their only <laughs> approach is the sledgehammer approach, as we've just seen. So you were expecting the sledgehammer, right? How did they How did they literally not make a single change to it? And I, what I think has happened here is they they did make a change to Codex Warfare. Mm -hmm. um, so they did. Yeah, so Codex Warfare uh, is changed now, so you can only score a maximum of 5 VP per Doctrine, um, which which is a change, and I think it does make it less effective here. You really need to build around it to run that. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's just say that's n not going to be taken very often. Um, but that is not a direct change to the power of Desolation Marines. You, in you, my opinion. I, you, I, you know, I'm just waiting to just button with the I told you so moment here, right? Oh, I can't believe it because <laughs> no, I would have I would have accepted the I told you so if they didn't identify them as a problem themselves. Like uh, I would have gone for, okay, they know it's a problem, but they don't want to change it because they've just released it and all this mm -hmm. stuff. But why would you say they're a problem in your video and then not do anything about it? I agree. But I think the larger I told you so is in the previous episode, you said the problem with Desolation Marines wasn't Desolation Marines, and actually they were perfectly balanced considering mm -hmm. the points cost. It was Codex Warfare that's the problem. And no, actually, no, 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 you definitely said this. No, it you wasn't. Did, no, I, you... I, I deny. No, I'm, okay, <laughs> someone in the comment, get... look, look, okay. okay. We've never asked someone to work for us, but someone in the comments, <laughs> why are the other episodes where we talked about Desolation Marines? I remember you saying that points-wise, they're actually quite fairly points costed it, but it was the context of Codex Warfare in which they were too powerful. Yes, okay, okay, I accept. I did say the Codex Warfare is a problem, but I think the underlying and major problem is the way that they interact with the Devastator Doctrine. Yes. And I think the, the elegant, correct fix to this was making it so that you can't pick your Doctrine for the entire game and you can't stay in Devastator Doctrine for the entire game. Yep, for sure. That immediately corrects Destiny. Desolation Marines yeah. co immediately corrects Codex Warfare, and that's all they would have to Raven do. Guard as well, uh, Raven Wings, sorry. Um, and we would have been in a happy place. Yeah, but... look, I certainly agree. Um, you're right, and I think if if little little um, chick here, guys, a uh, little bit of insight knowledge uh, into our team is that uh, 
some of our players were rather happy with the um, balance data slate, uh, provided that their army, i.e. Iron Hands, didn't really get nerfed that much <laughs> at all. So uh, I think Desolation Marines are still going to be quite prevalent, and I think 10 to 15 is going to be a very standardized backbone of playing any Marine army going forward, isn't it really? Despite Codex Warfare being changed or not. Yeah, 100%. So Desolation Marines are going to be a menace. And the problem is... The Desolation Marines mean that we have an indirect meta, or at least a meta with a lot of indirect fire yeah. uh, until the end of the ninth edition, sure. uh, which is the life we're living now. I was hoping that that wouldn't be the case and we'd have a nice varied meta mm. uh, in the run-up, but not not meant to be. It's a little bit of a shame, isn't it? Um, but, you know, they go sell those models. <laughs> <laughs> you know. well, well, the thing is, they're not even selling the models individually. It's just out of the box, so it's only coming coming out secondhand. Well, they've got to sell uh... the entire box. You've got to buy the entire box to get the Slation Marines, right? It's <laughs> even better. It's better than Kassikin that you could just buy. Um, look, I think um, if Kassikin were any way to go by, uh, you know, we're looking at probably like two months of playtime with Desolation Marines in their current format, which would put us right around 10th edition, of course, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Kazakin, Dave, mm. do you oh. want to take um, take a bit of Astra Militarum changes? Yeah, great segue. So I think they only had two changes, right? Uh, one was to Kazakin, so capped at six now, guys. So that's great. And um, on this one, I st- so Kazakin are still really powerful. They, for 100 points, um, and they can do a secondary, and you can actually order them for uh, action and shoot, which if you take R&D is like, quite good. Mm. Um, so I think Kazakin are still really good. I think you still want to play uh, minimum 20 if you're going to be playing guard. One in mm-hmm. mechanized, one in uh, barbican key. And actually yeah. one from outflank is still probably good now because the weapon loadout you're going to take is going to change a little bit, I think. You might want to consider taking um, on your barbican key unit, you might want to take two melters and two plasma and then take uh, the rest, um, the hotshot volleys. Because ideally what you probably want to do now is split all your volley, all your hot shots into one target to get the six models because you need about nine shots for that, and then you've got four other guns that could split somewhere else. So um, that's a really interesting um, change. Well, I think it's a good change, and it's kind of the one we all expected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Kaskin is still good uh, if you've bought them and you've got their models. Like you know, you, you shouldn't feel too out of pocket. There's still going to be a key way of playing guard. However, the other change they made, which Look, I'll be honest with you. I don't think this is a good change. Um, mm. Was the finial, the finial of Nomradish or whatever it's called, but everyone calls it finial. Oh, yeah, this my is friend, a bad change. My friend I Finn. Uh, <laughs> so they, what they did is they removed the um, ignore ballistic skill modifiers part of the finial. Now, but, mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they look at the finial, probably go, wow, you can't ignore damage. That's insanely good. You know, X, Y, and Z. You know, it gets through phase cap, minus one damage. The reality is, guys, that the ignore ballistic skill modifier was 80% of the power of the finial. Uh, now, the reason that is because in the meta right now, we actually don't have a lot of uh, feel no pain, um, phase cap, um, you know, maybe bloodthirster, but, you know, Pagata pretty good against the bloodthirster with remain vigilant. Uh, and then we don't have a lot of minus damage. And the real and on top of that, guard are a base ballistic skill four army, especially on the tanks. But they do get plus one to hit, and you can take aim other platforms to be ballistic skill three. But as soon as you go through a dense, or they minus one to hit, or maybe if they've got transhitman, your your damage falls off significantly. So the finial nerf is is should not be understated. I think it's really big for the army. It'll Whoa. really reduce the output that the army has. 
I genuinely had exactly the opposite opinion of you until you explained it to me just then, because we haven't talked about this. Yeah. And um, in my opinion, I thought the ignoring phase caps was the or and damage reduction and uh, feel no pains was the more powerful part of this relic mm, yeah. um, compared to uh, ignoring hit and wound modifiers. Yeah. And um, I find it fascinating the way you've just explained that. And... Well, for example, uh, mortars, right? Mortars mm -hmm. now hit on fives a lot of the time because either A, you're moving or B, you're shooting over dense. And UKTC in the corner missions, you're shooting over dense very often. So if your mortars hitting on fives instead of fours is huge to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Sentinels, yes, maybe... they take it as well. Kasekin, they're moving with the heavy weapons. Your uh, guardsmen coming in from um, reserve move with the heavy weapons. A lot so... of that is uh, really important. Would you still run this relic, Dave? I would not run the finial. If I was submitting Ooh. for a tournament tomorrow, I don't think mm -hmm. I would play finial. And I don't know how many games it would come up, to be honest. If it was Fair just enough. ignore, feel no pain, minus one damage, would it come yeah. up that often? No, probably not, right? Better paint up that fourth Phoenix Lord. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how many times do I get to just shoot a Phoenix Lord, right? It doesn't happen that often. Very true. Uh, what I would take, though, is I was really impressed with the relic. The um, It's a relic sword upgrade you can take it's three additional attacks and plus one to wound and then you um get uh strength six uh strength plus two uh or it's like strength plus three minus two flat two and if you take the warlord trait for exploding sixes and plus one to wound sorry the relic is just three additional attacks strength plus three minus two damage two i think uh and then the warlord trait is exploding sixes and plus one to wound if you put that on acadia command squad uh, they actually deal a lot of melee damage. So yes, I would actually I look at that, that, to be honest. I love that. I love ridiculous relics that are bad, but <laughs> good in a very specific application. Yeah. Because uh, you can put oh. four rerolls to hit on your um, uh, KD command squad and then fix bayonets. So you can effectively hit on twos with the sergeant and then you reroll everything for looking for sixes and you can get like eight or nine hits. Um, and then it becomes AP3 there as well. So that's potentially a relic to look into. Look, there's there's some ways Guard can go, but, you know, I think the Rogal Dawn is definitely a big winner from the Guard, you know, internal codex here, um, mm -hmm. because that's the unit that operates independent of the Finial, largely. So that's mm -hmm. definitely a big winner here. Sentinel's obviously a loser, uh, even though they kept, um, kept the things. Um, you know, Lehman Russes are a winner there as well. Mortars are a big loser. Uh, Earthshaker cannons, surprisingly enough, you know, maybe maybe play Still a little one-off. Depends what your meta is. If your meta is a lot of Marines and stuff, look, take it as a personal anecdote. I was quite impressed with the one unit of three, but then again, we've got the big L where they can hide. So if you take a very uh, studied look at your terrain, then and if you can hide an Earthshaker or two Earthshakers, probably minimum, then you can use the straddle them to auto-hit, uh, auto-wound, then potentially an option as well, guys, because you might not play the mortars because you got no finial. Dave, uh, with all of those changes, where do you think uh, Astro Militarum sit here? They're still good enough. Uh, are they really strong? Yeah, so just take it in context of everything that's happened, I think, over the last couple of months. We've had some big shifts in relation to how good Guard are. You know, Desolation Marines uh, being released is definitely a negative, a huge negative for Guard. Can't be, can't be seen the other way. But uh, then perhaps the nerf of Codex Warfare is a little bit of a buff. But if we look at the balance data slate, Guard have gotten nerfed harder than uh, Marines or Iron Hands have. Uh, and then, in a, but, you know, the flip side to that is, is that Guard have retained their secondaries, which are quite good. So, yeah, you know, all in all, I think Guard have definitely um, dropped down a little bit from this one. Initially, I thought they got off a little bit light, but 
if Desolation Marines are still very prevalent, then that's a direct way of attacking your secondary. So we'll have to see. Maybe the games will play out where Guard can play passive enough to outscore some of these top Desolation Marine armies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I my sneaking suspicion is immediately no. And I think also that people will be gravitating towards some of the other sort of um, Guard variants, like the Rogue Dawn perhaps, which are going to be better independently However, more susceptible to um, like Iron Hands, for example. Mm, yeah, the Rogue Dawn I think sits well in this meta, being T nine, right? That's uh... yeah, and it's just when you shoot on Death it, um, it's quite good because mm. obviously it gets to shoot with two turrets, and it's a nice target to put the four rerolls to hit on. So when you are shooting on Death, you get four rerolls to hit. Um, kind of nice tasty there's definitely room for one well that's guard i think uh that's a nice overview of all of that and we move on to the next one halfway down the list now dave we've got um we've got tau empire now i I was so excited to see this but um i mean i've had a lot of time to think about this and the change here guys is that broadside battle suits these are the the kind of heavy support battle suits um Mm. gain the core keyword back and the, the core keyword allows them to receive a number of different buffs as well as the mm. reroll uh, auras, reroll hit auras from the commanders. Um, now, initially, on first look at this, I felt that, oh, amazing, broadsides are back. Broadsides were one of the key elements in the very, very strong Tau lists um, when they <laughs> first came out. This was before the indirect fire nerf and before a lot of the points changes that Tau faced. At the moment, broadsides sit at about 100 points per model and you can take units of up to three. Mm. Now, the particular interaction that makes the broadsides potentially good is in Tau set, which is their main set, where a lot of their name characters sit, including Shadow Sun, who can give them full rerolls to hit, Long Strike, who's in a hammerhead, and he can give a unit the ability to always count as having a marker light, which is plus one to hit. Sweet. So you've essentially got this unit that's shooting indirectly with its smart missile systems, uh, which is strength five, minus one, one damage and ignore cover um, with full rerolls to hit and plus and basically hitting on fours. Um, you can also then add extra things. Any sixes to wound is an additional point of AP. Any sixes to hit is an auto wound. Mm-hmm. Now there's some problems here. I think this unit is okay. And I think the support is effective, but the overall points cost of it is quite high for this entire combo relative to the actual yeah. output that you're actually putting out. How much is Shadow Sun and Longstrike together? Oh gosh, it's uh, I think it's like it's like three hundred. Yeah, basically, let's put it as about three hundred. Yeah. I think it's like one seventy plus one thirty, something like that. Big support package. Um, so this is extremely expensive for the actual amount of damage you're going to do. Now, where I think the broadsides um, having core helps is that their heavy rail rifles actually become more relevant. That long range anti-tank on battle suits rather than hammerheads is definitely going to be more effective, I think. Um, And I would actually not be scared of someone running Tau set broadsides with this full combo and using one of their two commander slots on Shadow Sun. Um, I don't think that that's going to be the optimal way or actually push Tau up to the top of the meta. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see. I know we have some good Tau players in the UK who I'm sure will experiment with this and try out a unit. I think the counterpoint to that is that they sit on a two-up base Mm -hmm. and obviously one-up in cover, which is a very good profile under Desolation Mm -hmm. Marines, right? Yeah. Can you give them the Feel No Pain as well? Would you play that? Yeah, you can. I think you probably do run an Ethereal here and give them, you know, you could give them the Feel No Pain. Um, uh, Whether you need to or not, I'm not sure, but the Ethereals are quite effective just for CP regain anyway. 
Um, yeah. It's just a question of whether the broadsides are worth their points investment yeah. um, compared to more dynamic units in the list. But Tower yeah. a little bit short on very good choices at the moment. Um, yeah. I think they have nothing that's efficient anymore. And the, the only really efficient units are their chaffy units like Crute Hounds and things, which now mm-hmm. struggle a lot into kind of... Uh, Low yeah. strength. Do you uh, even play? I just don't think you do. It's uh, it's a yeah. bit tough, which takes a massive right. strength away from Tau. Yeah, they had those easy chaff units to go maybe steal an objective. They're super fast. Like Crude and Crude Hounds are actually, like, when you look at the points compared to other mm-hmm. units, like, at that six to eight point per model, like, they actually vastly outshine yeah, everything they're amazing. there. But all those models are becoming a lot less prevalent because of one data sheet, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Mortis already removed them. <laughs> and now we've got the Desolation yeah, exactly Reigns right. on top, which yeah. which removed Mortis. It's quite interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it's like a cycle. Yeah. Great game. <laughs> and then you've got Night Spinner. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think Sunshark Bomber is uh, definitely an interesting option there, but very terrain dependent as well. I think well, Sunshark right? Bombers are excellent. They're still efficient units. Um, the problem yeah. is the Tau just can't put much on the board at the moment. Yeah. Um, so you can end up feeling extremely light on the board, especially if you go second. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. And actually, like that dynamic play for Tau was the hugest part of their strength in a long ways, right? Like players that unlocked that level of dynamic aggressive play were the basically only successful Tau players mm-hmm. we saw. Yeah, exactly. So that's Tau. Mm-hmm. That's where they sit. And then we've got uh, four other factions, which are like small Ooh. changes. Uh, do you want to... No. Oh, tiny, big changes in... Tiny changes. Oh, mate, big changes in Camp Turinid. <laughs> oh, oh, baby. <laughs> Warriors are back on the menu, boys. No, they're not. <laughs> Fuck. These changes are fucking pathetic, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> so... Um, you can take your adaptative trait again, guys. So you can change that before the game, you know? So like your archetype army that you basically build around, you can maybe in 2% of games take something that is maybe better, but is honestly probably not. <laughs> so I don't think I took um, anything but plus one to charge in any game I ever played in tournaments. Mm-hmm. Now I know there are some builds like Jormungandr and um, Kronos that have a bit of adaptive traits that maybe you could switch something up, but the chances are you're probably playing around one combo anyway. So, yeah, that's pretty pathetic. Uh, and then the um, Hive Tyrant no longer has to be your Warlord. Yay! So you're really expensive guy that can't overrun because <laughs> he is Core Lock now. Um, when, he, when he dies, which he will, obviously, because he can't get back to safety, um, you don't lose all your Synaptic Imperatives. So, hey, that's, that's something. You know, you paid your 220-something point zone for it to get your 5 weapon vulnerable. You can, like, I don't know get that on turn three because you know i don't know the guys these changes basically do nothing uh and turnids are still in the um bad boy corner however you know i don't look i haven't been paying attention to any of the 10 spoilers like i don't really know anything about them but from an outsider's perspective like it looks like there's lots of tyranny stuff on there so are we you know, 10th edition maybe... looks so good man all the rules they're releasing every single article they put out and i read i'm like yes this seems awesome. So I'm hoping it okay. all comes together. Fingers crossed. Nice. I'm sure we'll do but, an episode uh, about that after Warhammer Fest when we've tried it. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, maybe we could try Warhammer Fest. Um, but yeah, Turinids still suck. So don't put it. <laughs> still... Um, right, actually, write to your local MP and complain. <laughs> I, I think they are definitely below the midline at the moment. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They're definitely below Imperial Lies. Um, um, yeah. I'll go into a tea sun Yeah, then. go for um, it. Basically, they changed it so, obviously, a Paul the Witch and Assassinate have to be in the same category. And people were like, oh, that's really great for Thousand Sons. Hmm. No, 
That doesn't do anything. It's, it's a, what are you thinking? I think it's actually a nerf because you I don't because, <laughs> exactly it's a no that yeah because yeah. you want people to take assassinate when you're playing thousand sets and now they're less likely to they're gonna take <laughs> like um this is a this is a bit of a classic thing where perhaps if you're a bit of a newer player you think oh you know they can't stack the thing against the one army but guys when you put all your eggs in one basket against an army like thousand sons for example that was actually the easiest way for a thousand sons player to win because your opponent has taken two secondaries that you could potentially zero on both mm -hmm. and you could just score a super low game of 60 points and win so actually potentially a nerf um, <laughs> that's, that's a great way of looking at funny. it and uh, um, I, to be fair i'm kind of happy they did this because i think there is play in thousand sons and i think they do work mm -hmm. they're better than their win rate reflects yeah i said that they were a mid army right yeah and that i think is probably fair mm -hmm. i think yeah especially yeah. this thousand sons and demons thing get the cheaper screamers in i think they're a very fair army yeah yeah uh we did actually i did actually play uh a game versus chris uh chris iron hands that was like relatively close mm -hmm. albeit my first time playing the army list and everything like that yeah. thousand sons one you know relatively first um and it was relatively close so it was like it was nice to see that it like it definitely does have play there yep um certainly good into desolation rings maybe absolutely so and then we've got uh, custodies just got a small change here i mean it's small but impactful no, this is a big change i think so i think look if tyranids and thousand sons were above <laughs> the custodies i think it's you know custodies should have been above so custodies uh, and have two defensive strats they have a transhuman one and they have a turn yeah. off all your rerolls against them one Yep. Um, and the current very popular builds allowed you to uh, kind of take big units of wardens and stack these on them and make them unkillable. Now you can't mm -hmm. use both of those stratagems on the same unit in the same phase, uh, mm -hmm. which is which is fair enough. It probably kills that warden build. Um, yep. But the warden build was potentially struggling as people were pushing more and more into these marine lists. Yeah, of course. Um, Just come out and shoot in with Desolation yeah. Rings and or a very competent guard player. I think the Deathwing Terminators did the same thing better and the uh, yeah. Marines were killing them too quickly. So um, <laughs> I think Custodies get uh, an, a little bit of an unfair nerf potentially on this one, but it's, yeah. it is it what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inject a few things mm -hmm. here. Uh, we've also got Jakari, which get back the core keyword for Talos and Kronos. I talked oh, to a yeah. former teammate that of been higher up. and he was like, yeah, it's all right. I don't think that's going to become a viable active build, certainly because of all the direct level of shooting in the game right now. Effectively, you'll have to walk all of those units into the battlefield once, and then you're probably going to take 15 Desolation Marines to the face, and you're going to see what you've got left over after that turn. Um, do, which is, do, yeah. do you know what's amazingly silly about the Desolation Marines? Is that they crunch both sides of defensive profiles. Yeah. They kill the really heavy stuff with their direct fire, and they kill the really fragile stuff with their indirect fire, and they narrow yeah. the meta into this little area in the middle. They're basically, uh, you know, T one thousand cybernetic organism, like <laughs> the original Terminator, right? <laughs> they just oh, kill everything. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So look, you know, maybe that's something. I don't think that's going to be a build. I wouldn't be surprised if someone tried to bring eighteen of those to GW Fist, though. That might be in a meta adjacent build that is reasonably popular. Yeah, I think you might see then, that and it could win some games just purely after stat checking you. Um, yeah, and then we've got one other army, army apart from the Arcus of Omen changes. We've got Death Watch. Um, I think a lot of Death Watch players have been wanting this change where they get to just actually use their combat doctrine and their chapter, it's called Chapter Tactic, right? The one where they can yeah. re-roll stuff like that against Xenos. Um, that just seems like something that's way overdue, to be honest. Like, I don't think that needed to be in a balanced data slate. Mm -hmm. like, it should have just been an you know, FAQ you, a while back, yeah. Yeah. Like, what were you really balancing? Like, you were just making something actually work. 
uh, the way it should have been intended. And then they actually got a secondary, which is good. Mm-hmm. Marines already have pretty decent secondaries in the standard Adeptus Dastardi ones. Uh, shock tactics um, being good even at three points, but it's at four now. <laughs> um, but yeah, they got they got one that looks kind of like on paper and automatically nine, mm-hmm. which is solid, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then it's you know it's it's basically a nine guys if you're under a skilled player that will play it. I'm assuming, and then if you're winning the game heavily, it's a bit of a win more after that. Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah. So I think yeah. uh, Death Watch uh, got fixed there. And uh, overall, that is a very interesting data slate, which actually would have been perfect if they had just made a change to Desolation Marines. I think they probably would have hit all the points correctly here. Yeah. What are the... Uh, GSC also took a nerf to Brutal oh, as yeah, well, but, but it's not um, too much. I, yeah, I heard Innes Wilson uh, saying that you just pivot to behind enemy Easy. lines. Yeah. So if Innes is saying that, it's probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this um, is not, not and, a bad one for them. Yeah. So who are the winners, Vic? Who's the you know after the fights after the fights have all all digested this? We've had a week to talk about this. Well, I'm really yeah, happy the... because I think Eldar got away uh, in this one. But then saying that, I think it was very unlikely anything in Eldar would get changed. There's nothing obvious that you can kind of pick out and be like that's kind of busted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it makes sense that Eldar got away. Butter off. Oh, yeah, Baharoth should have got nerfed like three years ago. I don't know how he. I don't know. He he did. He did get nerfed a little bit, um, yeah. like both on points and on the rules. Uh, before yeah. he used to be able to shoot, jump, charge, jump, <laughs> and yeah, so he can't do that anymore. But um, he's still a ridiculous <laughs> model that no one likes playing against. Guys, if if you haven't pieced it together, obviously Vic and I in the team, I give Vic uh, shit about. Eldar actually being really strong uh, all the time. Uh, so. like, <laughs> the somehow it's become the thing for everyone to come up to me and tell me that, oh, aren't you playing the best army in the game? And it just really <laughs> annoys me so much. But it's... <laughs> so, yeah, Eldar, I think the fact that other stuff got changed a little bit is good for them. Um, it's a bit yeah. sad. Codex, they were pretty vulnerable to Codex Warfare and Desolation yeah, too, right? I, so... I can really build deep into MSU now, which I'm really happy about. Yeah. Um, yep. You want to pick a faction, Dave, that you think comes out as a big winner? Oh, um, man, I don't, I don't really think there is one to oh, be honest. I, I would think... say Iron Hands come out of this. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. But... I was gonna say that the overall, of course, the ceiling has reduced, mm-hmm. um, the total ceiling cap, and that's kind of breathed more room for armies. But there's one army, of course, that got off a lot lighter than everyone else, which is Iron Hands, because if you if you just didn't take Codex Warfare then there's functionally zero difference in Iron Hands now. Mm-hmm. And Iron Hands are definitely one of those armies that can just wipe you off the board. Mm-hmm. So they've got that game plan already, which is very strong. And Iron Hands somehow is one of those armies that just has like access to a lot of, you know, fastish units that can kind of do things really well, like Land Speed of Tornadoes with Assault Cannon, you know? Like actually an Iron Hands that just hits on threes, Burials ones, even though it's 20 inches across the map, which is like really good. So units like that allow it to just play the secondary game really well anyway. Like with speeders, you could even play behind enemy lines, but like Oath of Moments, Shock Tactics are both really good in it. Uh, you know, then obviously you've got Banners. You could even do like R&D or something like that. It's, there's, they've got a lot of flexibility. And um, on top of that, they are probably the most killy army in the whole game right now. Mm-hmm. So that's a recipe for a tournament winning list, I would say, right? Space Wolves, maybe, you know, they seem to have gotten good. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think the Desolation Marines are so meta warping 
um, mm. that it really just, it almost feels like has anything really changed? There's just kind of like been a small tweak here and there, but really we're still having to deal with just desolation reads. That's our entire thought yeah. process. Like, can you play knights into desolation marines? No, okay. like, there's so many things like that you just like. Okay, yeah, I want to play this, but I can't desolation marines. So, yeah, um, how does it do against desolation? Marines? Yeah, oh, it loses. Yeah. Okay, so, great. I think we've still got that. So, as far as the balanced data slate goes as an overall, I think we're in a roughly similar spot to where we were before, uh, yep. just with maybe some tweaks below the very top. Okay, so are we in a better spot than we were last week? Uh, I would say yes with mm -hmm. like better meta, slightly better meta and slightly more disappointment. It's kind of like that. Okay. So um, in this example, if uh, if the old Games Workshop balanced data slate team uh, were to come to you and you were their manager, they said, here's our proposed changes. Is it a passing grade? Like, what are we, what are we going with here? Um, I would say no. Um, mm -hmm. I think you have missed the mark um realize what the biggest problem is in the meta correct it so that people have the design space to experiment with new things and we can sell lots of different models yeah hey that sounds like a fucking business model <laughs> if i've ever heard one <laughs> that's good um i think we'll just cut to some jazz music and then we're going to be talking about the gw fest everyone we are back i'm gonna note the time down because we gotta cut it games workshop gw fest Warhammer world the tournament in manchester mm -hmm. it's at the end of this month we've had two two kind of events this month but this is a bit of a it's a bit of a different doozy isn't it the terrain's different there is no player pack it's all a bit of a you know where do we submit our lists <laughs> how many people are actually coming up how many people are attending um yeah all questions that we would so i have answers by. and i want to share answers on this podcast with people because i what you have secret information i have so much secret information because there's like like little comments floating around everywhere and one that's exactly how i like my information disseminated and little comments everywhere. and i want to try and accumulate what i know at least so that the people who are listening have the same information that i do on the on the bad Vic, you should be keeping this within our team so we can hoard this information and use it to our advantage because it's hugely impactful this stuff um and i think it could create significant unfair advantages so first of all the tournament is 400 players and capped out at 400 sold out oh um in terms of the terrain pack uh, my understanding is that layout two so we're using layout two and three layout two is the better out of the two layout three is the one that they've used to replace their old layout one layout three is only going to be used for dawn of war and hammer of anvil missions and likely only for day one and someone has kind of oh. confirmed that it's going to be used for day one uh but i okay. don't know if that's actually accurate or not day two will be um layout two and so will day three and those will be um the corners missions and the quarters missions uh, uh which what no does that not sound right so so we don't play i, I don't know man I don't... <laughs> you're the one telling me that i'm just reacting uh, so we get no dawn of war missions on day two and three uh i think you can i think that's correct but i think you could okay. play a dawn of war mission on uh layout two but it, it looks a bit janky to do that to be honest um okay okay i think that's the way it goes and 
what was the next point, Dave? There are a few other things. I don't know. Oh. You're the one leading. I don't. Okay. I don't know anything about. So, I don't know what you're gonna guys, say. we haven't had any uh, GW terrain events here. Um, mm. So the way the terrain works, right? We're used to kind of pre-measuring where all the terrain needs to go, following a tournament pack. In yeah. this case, the perspex squares, there's no measurements. They roughly place them at the start of the day in a particular place on the board that looks like the picture. What? Uh, so there can be some variability in the distance between ruins and where everything is. Um, someone mentioned it that the two ruins that run across the middle, they're obscuring. You can either have a massive wide open firing lane through the middle or a very narrow one, which is barely existent. Um, it kind of roughly floats around 24 inches between the ruins, uh, but it could be 22, it could be 27. So keep that in mind. What the fuck? Inside of the Perspex squares, there'll be ruined walls, which are solid uh, on the front facing and a little bit broken down towards the side. And um, those are good terrain to hide infantry models behind, but there's a variability in it that some of them can be five inches tall and some of them can be three inches tall. Um, and if it's three inches, okay. there are a lot of vehicles and things which will stick out above it. So if you're touching the train, you can be shot. Um, mm -hmm. And it's completely potluck depending on what you actually get placed on. Nice. Now, um, I think the reason for all of this is to make sure that people can't specifically prepare for a particular tournament terrain set, which will be popular for some people and unpopular for some other people. Because why would you want to do that? <laughs> um, but in my opinion, you know, reducing the variability of losing because of the terrain is pretty sad. And realistically, you can't completely map something out just by knowing measurements of everything. All it does is allow you not to be caught out by surprise. That's my take on it. You know, America is different to the UK on that one. Uh, whatever. It's like, it's like turning up to the 100 meter sprint and turns out that like, there's a big muddy patch right through the middle. Just on your lane. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 by the way, guys, completely unscripted. I didn't know what Vic was going to say then. Of course, I knew some of these things, like, you know, what the ruins kind of look like and stuff. But what I heard from what you just said, Vic, mm -hmm. is that if you get to your table really early, yeah. you just move the ruins wherever the fuck you want and then just say that's what it was like. So I think that's technically cheating, but also something that may happen, uh, which is pretty sad, to be honest. Uh, because yeah, I mean that's a that's a okay, right? I don't think you should do that if you're the listener, but there is no way of enforcing whether or not someone has or has not done that, right? Yeah, because the variability between being 25 inches away and 22 inches is so huge and impactful for the outcome of yeah. games. Um, but what about this one you were saying? There's a ruin in the middle or something, right? Like, oh, yeah. you just got the open one, mate. Uh, if you I, if it's just a little bit closed up, you can stage your entire army behind it. If it's just a little bit open, you can your whole army gets shot on the approach turn. So um, these are massive. And the thing is, without measurements, if the terrain gets nudged between rounds, you have no way, unless you call a judge, of actually correcting the position of the roads. Right. Um, uh, Mm. I've also read that there's no clock policy, so you can't actually play on a clock. Oh, you're not allowed to. No, that's. I mean, that's what I've read. Like someone confused, come, someone correct me. But um, you know, I'm just gonna give a big. You think after I think two years of just solid UK tournaments, like we could have just addressed some of these things. Like, come on, guys. Like you make the game. Like there's no excuses to having awful stuff like this where it's like come on just just give us some measurements i mean it's not that hard it takes five minutes and a tape measure which if you work at games workshop you'll probably have access to you don't need to go to b and q or whatever to buy your tape measure you just go down there and you measure it and you're like oh by the way guys 
it's five inches up and six inches down there you go like dude does is this how the united states operates at some of their tournaments um so what i would say dave to take a more measured approach to this is that i think this event is more than just the tournament but the tournament is very important for the players who are attending and we're all taking this very seriously i think yeah. we should give this chance you know go in with positive mindset that we're going to make the most of the terrain that we have the bit that troubles me is the fact that the information is not readily available um, so a lot of people, like everyone's going to get caught up by surprise. And the thing is, if you can ask the questions and get the information, you have an advantage because yeah. I know now I'm not going to run my rates here because he is three and a half inches tall. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, just... not going to run him because there's going to be some game I lose randomly because my rates here dies. Now, that's like fine. That means, oh, you've got to run a tactically flexible list, but it's you know there's it's not fine because only some people know and this is the exact same thing that we had happen at lvo as well mm -hmm. was that there were huge terrain changes uh the day of the tournament um and we're not saying anyone knew but uh if you did know that for example you would be at an enormous advantage mm -hmm. like no way of looking at it um any other way so it's yeah, it's a little bit of a shame that maybe Games Workshop haven't tried to put their best foot forward on this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Um, they can be variable terrain um, yeah. and j just tell people, just put it in a player pack somewhere just so that yeah. we can read it and be like, oh, fair enough. We can't prepare yeah. for this. It can, the terrain can be all over the place. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a shame because obviously, you know, we've got UKTC here, which is set the bar at a very high standard. Yeah, and I think um, that may be, because look ultimately i want the gw tournament to massively succeed here and create yeah, we all do. a long-standing circuit in the uk which is highly successful mm -hmm. what would be a disaster is if this flops because competitive players are like, like it's not really that competitive an event and yeah. then the the attendance just drops off of course the yeah. first tournament is going to be hugely oversubscribed everyone's going to want to go there but mm. that's not that you need to create a recipe for long-term success like the UKTC yeah. have managed to do over time um yeah. and hopefully hopefully it a works out and b if it doesn't work out this time and there is criticism they actually listen to it rather than just yeah, use exactly. their reasoning and excuses um yeah. and it's it's all good maybe to make some mistakes the first time around although it's not the first time around they've been doing the circuit in the United States, but maybe their audience is a bit more receptive to this. Mm -hmm. But I, I hope that perhaps the TO is there and is really open to taking some criticism on board or not criticism, but constructive feedback on board because it's hugely important. Like every single person, you know, Vic and I have been um, more than invested in seeing the UKTC succeed, for example. We've always offered our, um, you know, constructive feedback on how to make it a best event because at the end of the day, we just want to see it succeed because it benefits us inherently, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully Games Workshop operate like that. I do actually kind of like the fact that there's another, t that there might be another big tournament scene with different terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love you know, it. Maybe that's a hot take, but um, I think that would be really cool. Uh, we, you, you, someone could point at UK and say it's a little bit monodimensional um, uh, yeah. with our terrain, right? Given that it's big, one big terrain set. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. that's us for the day, guys. Yeah. The reason I'm <laughs> nice. saying that's because Vic has just dropped off and he'll be rejoining in a second. But well, I'm going to sign out. Yes. This has been episode 20 of the 40K Fireside Podcast. Vic has rejoined re in our studio as we have some technical issues. Can... But Vic, I've just signed have off. Have you? You've, you've done I it. I just want to say, last little bit, just about Warhammer Fest, <laughs> that I am not making my judgment just yet. I'm going to really give it a chance. And I'm very, very excited to see everyone and, and kind of be there and do that tournament. There is a chance, Dave, 
that this event could be perfect and we're really really Oof. happy let's come back well, that would require me to win so <laughs> the whole a chance. <laughs> um i hope you guys enjoyed this episode we we yeah. talked about loads of stuff i think this is an interesting one and we will sure. see you next time by the fireside see you on the flip side we'll probably see you at gw fest so if you're at gw fest just come and tell us hey you like the podcast we uh had that quite a bit recently and we obviously really appreciate the feedback it what gets really what keeps us going and stuff like that so if you'd like to see some stuff on the podcast then just uh, tell us in real life and uh, we'll cover something. That's episode 20. Hope you've enjoyed it at the fireside. 20 episodes. I'm going to have a drink for that tonight. What about you, Rick? <laughs> oh, 20 episodes, man. That's a big, that's a milestone. I love it. 20 big ones. There we go. Amazing. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to the 40K Fireside Podcast. Rick and I hope you've enjoyed listening and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show. 